lights, cameras, action. Hey, y'all, good to be with you. Good to be with you. You guys couldn't see me, could you, before that? I was like totally dark. Hey, good to be with you, Dwayne Davis. Most of you I know, maybe some of the online community doesn't know me, but I am the pastor of discipleship here. And uh, it's my pleasure to kind of kick off, kick off, kick off the Behold series. So Behold, I didn't know this, but Behold is really just an expression that means to look. And it's really not so much an imperative like look, but it's just kind of like look, explore. And so we're going to explore this whole birth of Jesus thing for the next X amount of weeks until it's Christmas. And it's uh, my pleasure to start it off. Uh, Many of you probably know the old radio commentator, Paul Harvey, and he used to say, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, that phrase came to my mind as I was thinking about a prophecy that we're going to look look at in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. But I want to start off with an image uh, that I think I probably saw when I was a teenager, and it starts with this, like, all the letters running together, And then the question is, if I'd done this really tricky, I would have just put up the top line, and then the second line, the third line. We're just going to, you guys are fast learners, we just put them all up there. But when you look at that top line, the question is, what do you see? Do you see God is nowhere, or do you see God is now here? Again, like I say, it's probably been eons ago that I saw that. But it came to my mind again as I was reading in Isaiah about Emmanuel, God with us. And wasn't that song that Sean and the group did great about Emmanuel? Like, awesome. I was like getting chills. It's like he must have known what my message was about. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Sean is really good that he actually kind of takes the songs and matches it to who's ever speaking. So thank you, Sean. So the question is, not just in the world out there, But I want to ask you, in your own personal world right now, does it feel like God is now here most of the time for you? Or is it like you kind of go through life as like, where in the heck is God? A lot of people, after I speak on a Sunday morning, will say, Samir, you're here. Rooney, you're here. Thank you. So good to see you guys. Uh, Squirrel. (laughs) rabbit Uh, some people say like you're uh, and they they avoid using the word sermon because they're not quite so sure it's a sermon my style of speaking on the weekend is really more like teaching because that's how my brain works it's kind of I look at scripture and it's like I want to know what in the world it means and then once I kind of figure out what it means I'm trying to figure out what do I do about it And so as we go through this message today, we're going to start a journey of looking at some texts of Scripture, probably lots of texts of Scripture. But as we do that, I want you to understand it, but then we're quickly, quickly going to try to land the plane so we can figure out, okay, Lord, what do we do about it? So I like this question. God is now here. God is nowhere. So here's the text that I've been referring to. It's a famous one. You've heard it many times at the Christmas season, but don't let this old text become like, I've heard that before. I'll take a nap now, or I'll check and see what's new on Facebook, right? Here's what it says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. 
She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, just a little bit of a backstory about prophecies. This was written approximately 600 years before the birth of Jesus. So it's pretty amazing to think that it's possible for God to reveal a message to a person, a prophet of the Old Testament, and that he is able to announce that and then record that so that 600 years later it could be fulfilled. I think that's pretty amazing. In fact, the amazing thing about God is that he does that over and over and over again. And so when we think about this word hope, Hope is not like, I, every time I use this illustration, they're like, Dwayne Methodists don't play the lottery, but it's like, I hope I win the lottery, right? Your chances are like one in a gazillion, correct? If you play a game of chance of that magnitude, your hope of winning is not very strong. When the Bible talks about hope, they're talking about the fact that every time God makes a promise, he does it. I mean, that your chance... <laughs> of losing are like zilch. You always win. When God says it, it always happens. And so when Isaiah initially gave this prophecy, and we can go to the next slide, prophecies often have what's called a dual nature. It has an immediate fulfillment that's going to happen shortly after the time that the prophet spoke it, but then it's going to have a secondary uh, fulfillment through something more significant, in this case, the birth of Jesus. And so what we're especially focused on, on is that second nature, or that second aspect of the prophecy. The other thing to keep in mind about prophecies is it doesn't tell the whole story. Okay, It's kind of like a sneak peek. It's a preview. It's a trailer. It's completely true, but we have to go Fast forward into the future to find out the rest of the story, to quote Paul Harvey again, okay? And so keep in mind that when you're reading the Old Testament, you're just getting sneak peeks of the future. And I think this is really important. I'm just going to take a little bit of a side road here for just a moment. When we read the Old Testament, we need to remember that it's written at certain uh times in history when God is only showing a part of his hand, okay? He's not showing all of his cards. He's just showing a few cards that are giving us a sneak peek into the future. And the third thing says, and this is what I had said kind of at the outset, if God says it, it will come true. It is certain. And that's something that we need to just kind of get into the core because once we get that, it gives us a measure of hope, which is not wishful, whimsical thinking, but it is certainty. Now, here's the question for us. How close can God get to us? Now, keeping with this theme that I started, that God discloses things and discloses more as time goes by, I want to go back to Exodus, the time of Moses. And there's a significant story that's told in uh, the life of Moses when he actually gets the law from God, the Ten Commandments, right? We've all seen the movie, Charlton Heston, he goes up and he's got the nice white, you're shaking with me here, he's got the nice white hair and the beard going and looks very regal and his voice sounds as majestic as the guy who read. That reading was amazing, dude, 
Where are you? Are you still in here? He's probably reading over there. That was so good. Didn't even read. All right, so how close can God get to us? There should be a slide for this, too. There is this evolution that we see in Scripture that there is this promise that God is going to be near us, God with us. There is this evolution where God is going to be on us. And then finally, there is this disclosure in the New Testament that God is going to be in us. And I don't want us to get like bent out of shape about semantics here, but I want to think that as history moves, let's see, your left is over here. As history moves from left to right, that God is on this journey to get closer and closer to us. And that's what I want you to think about as we go through this particular text in uh, Exodus chapter 19. I actually, I think I only have verse 13 that's going to be on the screen, but I want to back up, and I forgot to read, or forgot to include chapter, uh, verse 12, so I'm going to read Exodus 19, 12, and 13. Now, so this is the moment Moses goes up to the mountain. The rest of the Israelites are waiting at the base of the mountain as Moses is up here hanging out with God, getting the Ten Commandments and more. And here's what it says. God gives this warning to Moses. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain and warn the people. And here's what Moses was to warn the people. Be careful do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Now let's replay the question that I asked a few moments ago. How close is God willing to get to us? Now, during this particular part of history, God was saying what? Keep your distance. Don't get too close. All right? Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. Now, that's not like a tender father, come up and sit on my lap kind of expression. Are you with me? God is my father. I don't feel like climbing up on his lap at this moment. I'm like, I'm going to keep my distance, correct? Then verse 13, which we should have on the screen. No, so not even, not even if anyone touches the mountain, but it goes even further. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. So if you cross the line and whoop, I just did that, you better not even touch me. This is the magnitude of the holiness, the otherness that God is communicating in Exodus chapter 19. Say, I'm with you, Duane, if you got that so far. All right, let's check in. I'm normally teaching with smaller groups and I have this kind of exchange and that helps me to know that you guys are with me. All right. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, and again, this is definitely not warm, cozy, fatherly kind of image. Stone them or shoot them with arrows. Now, I'm not laughing because it's funny, but it's just ironic how strict this moment in history is. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So it gets better. Now, old school that I am and dad joke kind of person, I couldn't help but think of this video when I thought of the mountain. Would you roll that? You can't touch this. Yeah, come on. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. 
All right. So um, I did that so you'd wake up. It worked. It worked. I got some laughter. Can't touch this. So the question is, was God always, is God always that way? Is he kind of out there, can't touch me? Okay? Is God, is it like he started one verse of a song and he's still singing that same verse of the song? I don't think so. There's a little ray of hope that comes even during the time of Moses that there were these exceptional people. There were these people that had a special relationship with God and Moses and Joshua are two of those people that I want to call attention to. Next slide comes from Exodus 33, 7 through 11. How am I doing on time? Pretty good. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, I'm guessing many of you have never heard of this tent before. This is not the tabernacle. This is another tent that Moses had set up, okay? Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, this is really important, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So we know that Moses had this unique relationship with God, that God was especially close. And this is the point of why I'm reading this text. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Now, I'm sure you've heard that verse before that no one can see the face of the Lord and live. Well, apparently there are exceptions because Moses is an example of that uh, exception. Uh, let, let's back out for a moment here of another slide that just paints the big picture of what we call the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And again, when we think back to the Old Testament stories, we're talking about a different era than what we live in today. And I think it's important to make that distinction. Uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 17, next slide, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So we always need to have this kind of separation in our minds between what happened in the old and what's possible for us in the new. Next slide, uh, I've got just two distinctions. In the old covenant, we see examples of God being near, with, and on. I just gave an example of that. But in the new, and this is the cool thing about where we are today, God says, I want to be inside of you. Now think about the contrast that we've gone from in Exodus to the fulfillment of the prophet, uh, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. God not only wants to be with us, he wants to be in us. Now, it's funny, when I thought about in cinema world, where we've had pictures of like a spirit living inside someone, I could only think more of the weird kinds of things like the movie Ghost. Anybody remember the movie Ghost? 
Okay, weird movie, sorry I brought that to your, your mind. It's like, oh, I can't get that out of my mind right now. But that idea that a spirit would actually come inside of someone else is really re reserved kind of for those kinds of movies that are a little bit more of like a horror genre. Would you agree? And we don't see many pictures of like a good spirit entering somebody, not often. But the prophecy is that a good spirit, God's Holy Spirit wants to come and live inside of us. What a contrast from the Old Covenant. Another prophecy in Jeremiah, which uh, is going to be quoted in Hebrews 8, 10 through 12, kind of brings and starts to land the plane for us. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And here's another description of what it means for God to be inside of us, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Again, Jeremiah is writing in a similar time frame as Isaiah. He's looking forward to the future, future of this era that we live in right now and says, it's going to be so unique, so different. It will be as if instead of God writing on tablets of stone, he's going to write them on your minds and hearts. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I will be their God, they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. All right. This is huge, 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 huge. Uh, sometimes I step back and just think about the people who are like just tormented. Uh, their sense of self-identity. Uh, they lack peace inside. You ask them how well, you know, how's it going with their mind, with their emotions, everything. They're just in torment, just in torment. And I can't help but wonder, at the core, if you pull back the layers of the lack of peace, of the fear that is in people's lives, I wonder if at the core there is this deep-seated sense of, I don't really feel good in my sense with the relationship with God. God feels like he's nowhere, and I lack peace. But when we know he's not only now here, he's not just near, but he's inside of us, I believe that creates incredible peace, incredible hope, incredible courage when we know that to be true. When we can see that, when we can feel that, when we know that, I think it changes everything. Now, the fulfillment of this promise happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, a little bit of trivia. It seems like the last time I spoke, I may have shared this. But uh, the giving of the law happened on what we call the day of Pentecost. Now, the, when I said that like a year ago, a lot of people had never heard that before. But when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the law... That anniversary is what later was called the Day of Pentecost, and it was on that day. What a coincidence. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. 
that God intentionally pours out His Spirit and fulfills the promise on the same day that He gave the law to Moses. It had to be just like, for the early Christians, it had to be so clear. It's like, oh my goodness, can you believe this? On this very day that we're celebrating the giving of the law, God kind of sets all of that aside and pours out His, his Spirit. Here's what it says. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This was the fulfillment. This was God making good on his promise that Emmanuel, God, would not only just be with us, he would take up residence inside of us. The heavens opened, fire descends from above. When the Israelites looked up at Mount Oreb, when Moses was up there, what did they see? Billowing clouds and fire rested on Mount Oreb. Reminiscent of that, fire comes down from heaven and is not resting on a mountain. It comes and rests on the 120 individuals that were gathered on that day. And the prophecy gets even clearer. Look at what Paul says, both in Colossians and 1 Corinthians. This message, talking about the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. It was hidden. But now it has been revealed to God's people and to us. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Is everybody ready for the secret? Christ lives in you. I want you to say that instead of Christ lives in you, Christ lives in me. Ready, set, go. Christ lives in me. Let's do that again. Christ lives in me. Now, if we go back to Exodus 12, and we imagine, could that ever be possible? It blows your mind, yes? How could God ever get so close that he's going to live inside of me? Surely, I'm too unholy. It's got to be that way, right? That's certainly probably how the Israelites felt. I can't get close to God. If I even look at him, I'll incinerate. Yes? Paradigm shift. Major, major change. And then 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. I've got a couple of videos. Um, the first one I want you to watch, I think it will be pretty uh, self-explanatory. But um, I like a couple of things about this testimony. I want you to watch it, 
and then I'll comment uh, after you see the video. So if you'll run, uh, Ron. This is Ron Myers. Hello, yes. everyone. I, I met Ron about six months ago. I thought it was three months ago. It's like, Dwayne, it's been six months. But Ron <laughs> attends both our Sunday morning services and Tuesday night Stepping Forward dinner. And uh, I saw him at church a few weeks ago, and he's walking down the hallway, and I could tell by the way he's walking and the way he's looking at me, this dude is in pain. So, Ron, tell us a little bit why you were in so much pain that Sunday morning. Well, I think probably the, um, it started Friday, Saturday, the before Sunday. I recently had major surgery, and I was on pain medicine, and it, I couldn't drive. I mean, it was advised not to drive on pain medicine, so I kind of went off of it. It hurt to sit, it hurt to stand, and it hurt to walk like you would not believe. <laughs> I mean, I thought, well, if this keeps up, I'm gonna, you know, have to call for help. But somehow, Sunday morning, I made it to church, don't know how yet. I sit through the service. I didn't stand when everybody else did. I just sat there because I, know, I knew it was gonna hurt. And I waited till most of the people left, and I got up and worked my way to the front door, and there stood Dwayne, who could tell I was in pain. He lifted me, lifted me in prayer, and at some point during that um, prayer, a wave of heat, I've never, ever experienced this before, a wave of heat went through my body from top to bottom, and the pain went with it. And it's just unbelievable. And uh, so I, I always stop and I'm like, well, can you tell me if the pain is more or the same or less? And right. Ron paused for a minute and he said, well, it's not worse. And then I said, would you get up and just walk and test it? And he walked it and it's like... It, it just it was wasn't gone. there. It's it gone. gone. Since I was not in pain, I felt pretty good. I got close to my vehicle and uh, decided to walk around the parking lot of the church because I felt like, I felt good. Um, and it was a good walk, it didn't hurt. I got in the truck and decided to go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up to Target, uh, and I usually hate shopping, but, uh, but I felt like doing something. So I went shopping, bought a few things I needed, and went home, and pain's been gone ever since. All right, round of applause for Ron, come on. So it's possible, oh, not yet, not yet on the second video, sorry. Sorry about that, that's my bad. So a couple of things may have gone through your mind uh, when you heard that testimony. One of the things that went through your mind was like, wow, <clears throat> that story in Acts chapter 2 about God being in us suddenly felt very near to us. It's like, it's not just something in history, it's maybe possible today in Westchester. That may have gone through your mind. Um, if you're like I used to be, what may have gone through your mind is, I'm not so sure about that. That sounds a little bit kind of hokey I think maybe that was just in Ron's mind, and nothing really happened. It was all mental gymnastics. 
Well, I don't know Ron super, super well, but one thing I know about him, it's not like he is accustomed to this kind of thing at all. In fact, he says he's never experienced that. The other thing that I think is interesting, not only was he in such pain, I said on a scale of one to 10, what's your level of pain? He said an eight. And honestly, he was in tears as he was walking down the hallway. Now, I think it's amazing that within seconds, he went from a level eight pain to no pain at all. That's pretty amazing. The other thing that was even more amazing was his story about heat going through his body and his heart warmed. Has anyone, any Methodist, any Wesleyan Methodist ever heard that phrase from history before? You can talk to me now. John Wesley. I thought that was really interesting, and it's not like Ron is a scholar of Wesleyan theology. It's like, oh, I'll just pull one from the archives. I was just reading in John Wesley's writings. No, 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 no. He, he wasn't even, all he knew was he had an experience that involved heat that was reminiscent of John Wesley hundreds of years ago, which is reminiscent of a story in Acts chapter 2 a couple of thousand years ago. How does this happen? How does this happen? When I first started thinking seriously about the Holy Spirit, I can remember I had all kinds of reservations, and a lot of them were driven by fear. I was a very fearful kid growing up. I had lots of fears. I was afraid of bees. Anybody afraid of bees growing up? I was afraid of bees. I didn't want to play football because I would get hurt. I did, when I played baseball, I did play baseball. I was always concerned the fast pitch was going to hit me. Some of you are laughing because you know those kind of boyhood kinds of fears. I had lots of fears. When I became a Christian, honestly, I had a lot of fears about God can't touch this, do, 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 right? You can't, he's not approachable, and it didn't help that my earthly father wasn't very approachable. It was kind of like a strike one, strike two against me, right? My perception of my heavenly father was not too approachable. The reality of my earthly father was not too approachable. Like, I was like <laughs> in a bad place, to really understand the truth that God wants to come near. He wants to be so near. He's willing to be inside of me. And it has nothing to do with my sin. Paul says, hey, if Jesus loved us so much, he died for us when we were sinners. How much more, now that we're redeemed, will he just give us all good things? That's the whole logic that Paul uses. That's just the way it works. So in my early days, there was, I was kind of like, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, don't get too close to me. I'm not so sure you're a good thing. <laughs> That's what it was like for me. In fact, when John Wesley first started experiencing the Holy Spirit, and it actually changed his heart, he went and told his brother Charles that he had experienced something that was alive, something that was dynamic. He said, now I've got a living faith. Charles was mad at him because he was referring to his old life as a Christian as being dead, which by extension meant that John was saying that Charles had a dead faith. Are you tracking with me here? 
little bit of brother kind of thing going on here. <laughs> what do you mean? You have a better experience with God than I do? You with me now, brothers? A little bit of antagonism. And then shortly thereafter, the same thing happens to Charles. His heart is strangely warmed, and they're suddenly on the same page. So I'm going to play, uh, I'm not going to play. Someone's going to play a video. Uh, I, I could not say this as well as Graham Cook, but I want you just to get in a comfortable posture and just enjoy his words. Uh, just uh, let him wash over you. And, and honestly, I think his words are probably going to speak more to your heart than your, he your head. But just enjoy this and see if there's a little bit of a shift and just invite God to come closer. Okay, if you'll play that for us, please. you because he loves 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 you because that is what he is like it is his nature to love and you will always be the beloved and his love is unchanging and he loves you a hundred percent. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you a hundred percent right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you 100% because he loves you because that's the way that he is. And even if you don't want to change, he will love you a hundred percent. Even if you have no plans to walk with him, he will love you 100%. Because that's his nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. And this evening, I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who is outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical 
It'll blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. So here's, uh, here's what I'd like to do. Um, we'll keep the lights kind of low here just for a few moments, and Sean is going to play some uh, beautiful keyboard music. And I've got two asks. Number one, if while you were listening to that video, listening to the message, you felt something in your spirit. You're not quite sure what it was, but it felt like God was coming closer and you want to respond to that. I'm gonna ask that um, as Sean is playing that you just come forward and uh, just let me bless what God is doing in you. It should be short and sweet. So if there are 20 people, it'll just be bam, bam, bam. You don't have to worry, it won't take long. The other thing is when you came in, you got a card that looks like this 21 day adventure. I thought it would be fun if during this Christmas, you said, you know, for the next 21 days, I'm gonna focus on what Graham Cook was saying. It's not so much that God is changing, it's my response to his love. How can I be more responsive to the love of God over the next 21 days? If you feel like, you know, I need to, I need to take the challenge. I'm up for this 21-day challenge. Would you fill that out? And uh, I'll uh, give you some exercises. One, two, one, two. Spiritual exercises to do for the next 21 days that will help you open up your spirit more to God's spirit. Okay? So either one of those things, fill that out. If you would like just to, to just say, yes, I am open to the spirit. I want more. And then uh, the lights will be lowered. And if you're like, dude, you're already four minutes over. I got to go. You can just quietly go. But just let's just use as Sean plays some beautiful music and the lights are low. Uh, just respond and let your spirit listen to his spirit and just respond accordingly. Okay? Awesome. Awesome. 